Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing okay? My name is uh, Mark Ordis. I'm the Director of Student Ministry here at Ward. And on behalf of the staff and everybody here, we want to welcome you, especially if you're worshiping with us for the first time today. We're so glad that you decided uh, to come and worship with us. Those of you worshiping online, and of course our friends at Farmington Hills, what's up everybody? If y'all can hear me, just give a big wow, and we'll assume that happened. It'll be great. Okay. All right, well, we are so glad you're here with us today. We are going through a series called Done With Church. And what we've been trying to do in this series is take kind of an introspective look at the local church and look at some reasons because statistics say people are walking away from the church more than ever before, really. So what we did is, is we did a survey and we looked and interviewed some people who said, you know, they love Jesus, they love the Bible, but they're done with church. And we wanted to find out why. We wanted to find out what could we as the local church do better to love and serve all the people of this world. I've been here a lot longer than you, and I'll be here a lot longer than you. I'll never forget the conversation I had with a gentleman in my church who said those words to me. About two weeks after I had started at this church, I was serving as the youth and worship pastor there. And the gentleman was upset because in worship the Sunday before, I had done a different version of a song that he really loved and cared about. And he came into my office and sat down with me and he said, that's not how the song goes. And I was like, well, you know, just trying to have some fun, try some new things. He's like, that's not how it goes. And he goes, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, this is my church, and that's not how the song goes. It's not the way we do things here. I've had a lot of conversations like that over my 20 years of serving in the local church of people telling me that's not the way we do things here. And, and I've had people tell me, you won't have to worry about people telling you that's not the way we do things here. But usually those are the people who are about to tell me, but the way we used to do things here, you know what I mean? Because to a certain extent, I'm, I wasn't really mad at him when he had that conversation with me. Because I mean, to a certain point, he had a point, right? He had been at the church a lot longer than me. He knew the history of the church. His family had gone to that church before him. He had raised his family in the church. I mean, he chose that church because he liked the way they did things. So who was I as the new guy to come in and try to change things? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we can relate to where he was coming from. We can relate to the fact that, you know, we give our tithe to the church. We give our time to the church. The church should be in our corner. The church should be about us, right? I mean, after all, we choose the church we do because we like the way they do things. And I can relate to this. You know, as a pastor, it's a little bit different because part of where my family is going to worship hinges upon, you know, where I get a job, where God calls me to. But we still, as a part of that process of being interviewed, we look into things like, what do they do for kids ministry? What do they do for student ministry? Because I myself have four kids. My oldest, Micah, is 13. He's in eighth grade now. And then our daughter, Cosette, is 10, and she's in fifth grade. And then we we have twin boys who are six years old starting kindergarten this year. So, so it really matters to us where we go, and it matters the church's plan for discipling our kids. And, and we've invested so much into our local churches, is it so wrong for us to put our preferences on display? 
But one of the things I've noticed in the local church, in the 20 years I've been serving in the local church, is, is to a certain extent, the church can have a tendency to become a little bit like Mean Girls. Y'all ever seen Mean Girls, the movie? Came out of what? Lindsay Lohan? No, it's a, okay. Well, you don't need to watch it. It's, it's not a great movie. But um, in that movie, uh, this girl, Lindsay Lohan's character, Katie, she starts at this new school. And, and it's her first day there. And as soon as she goes for the first time, she's kind of adopted by this group of girls that, that, that welcome her into their clan. But throughout the movie, it's all about like teaching her how to fit in before she can formally be a part of their group. They teach her things like we wear pink on Wednesdays, you know? They teach her things about how to interact with other people, who she can interact with, all of these things that she has to do before she can truly belong. Before she can truly belong in the group, Katie needs to become one of the plastics, which is what they call that group, the other kids in school. They call them the plastics. So I don't know why, but when I look at the modern church, when I look at the local church, kind of feels more often than not, we're becoming like the plastics. Like, yeah, you can, you can belong here as long as first you become this, that, and the other thing. Now, before we continue, I want to make very clear, my intention is not to bash the local church. I love the local church. I've committed my life. I've been called to serve in the local church with my life until God calls me otherwise. My wife, Lisa, and I have raised our kids in the local church. We are passionate about the local church, but when I hear stories like the one we're about to hear, it tells me that we can, and I think we need to do better. Check this out. What made you decide to be done with church? Going from a Pentecostal church where you can't wear pants, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then one day you slip up and wear pants and they're yelling at you and telling you you're not a Christian woman. As a 11 year old girl, that that was hurtful life. And then you finally are like, okay, I'm gonna join another church. And then when you join that church, um, there's people spreading lies about you. And it was hard. And then, you know, then, people say oh i'm here for you but when you really need them no one was there Mm. so like when my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 i was active at church the only thing they cared about was if i was coming to youth group Mm. was i going to be able to come to youth group your group needs you access needs my mom needs me Mm. i can't i can't leave my mom and like the days she would have to take her medicine I had to stay at home I had to literally it was some Sundays where I literally had to stay at home because if my dad worked and Simeon was a freshman in college who else was gonna help and so I literally was like I can't leave her by herself I can't, I have to help change her bandage I gotta give her medicine and it was just like well we need you here Mm. And I just kind of have this PTSD kind of from church. Um, And I just feel like even to like wanting to join a church or be a part of a church home is a commitment. And And I think for me, like building those commitments within the church has really like scarred me. And that sounds, and I mean, it may sound really like superficial, but it is 
it's true. Like, I just feel like me going and wanting to be a part of a church and mold myself into the church has scarred me to the point where I don't want to go. They say that the church is is not just the building, but it's the people in the church that make the church. But when the people in the church are judgmental or they make you feel small or they you know, are condemning or they're hypocritical, it makes you not want to go to church. Yeah, see, we, we, we want people to become before they can belong. I'll say that again. We want people to become before they can belong. We want people in our church to dress like we do, to believe like we do, to worship like we do, which is all natural because humans are drawn to people who are like-minded to them, but that wasn't the way of Jesus. Jesus came to reach everyone and show them that because of him, they belong. They have a place. And then he invites them, after showing them that they belong and they have a place because of him, he invites them to become by following his lead. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day took issue with Jesus' thoughts here. The Pharisees believed the church was for the saints. And we talked about this in our series on Ephesians earlier this summer. We talked about the fact that the religious leaders believed they were the forefathers of the church. They believed that they, if you weren't in the Israelite bloodline, God's promises were not for you. So understandably so, they were pretty irritated when Jesus spent time drawing people in who they didn't think belonged. We're going to take another look at today's passage, which again, if you want to follow along with us, it's from Mark chapter 2. Mark is a book in the New Testament. It's part of the four Gospels, which basically outline Jesus' ministry here on earth, his life and his birth and his death and his resurrection. One of the things that's kind of unique about the book of Mark is it's the only Gospel that doesn't focus too much on the beginning of Jesus' life. It starts right from when Jesus is baptized and starts his adult ministry here on earth and starts preaching and teaching and doing the miracles and all those kinds of things. A lot of Mark's account probably came from the disciple Peter because he was learning under the disciple Peter. So that's where a lot of his teachings and writings come from when stories passed on. So where our story picks up, Jesus had begun his ministry here on earth. He had already been teaching and, and there was kind of a lot of uh, a movement building around him, this movement of love that Jesus was inspiring. The fans were being flamed and word was getting out about who Jesus was. And then he started doing some things that the religious leaders of the day were not really comfortable with. He actually did a lot of things that religious leaders of the day were not comfortable with, but this one kind of triggered them in the verses leading up to our passage when Jesus actually offers forgiveness on God's behalf. That was just a step too far for them. So that's a little background as to where we are. And then our story picks up in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Mark writes this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So again, Jesus is going about his business, doing Jesus things, right? He's preaching to people. He's teaching the good news. He's inviting people in to this story that he's telling, this revolution of love, this kingdom of love, this kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing here to earth. And word is spreading like wildfire. So basically, wherever Jesus goes, there's a crowd that follows. So in verse 14, our story picks up. It says, as he, being Jesus, walked along, 
he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, the fact that Mark makes note that Levi was at the tax collector's booth implies that Levi was, in fact, a tax collector. And if you've ever been to church before, you might know this, but if you haven't, I'll tell you, tax collectors were not well-liked people. Because what their role was, I mean, first of all, let's be honest, who actually likes paying taxes? You know, kind of you know, giving your money away and everything, it's fine. You, you know, hopefully you believe in the cause, but still it's tough. And, and, and then, so these people paid their taxes to them, but that wasn't the part that really made them angry. What, what made them even more angry is that tax collectors had the legal right to take even more than what they were required to bring in for the government. They could, bring, they could ask for as much extra money as they wanted to, and then they'd just line their pockets with it. So they were cheating the people. They were stealing from the people. They were doing all these kinds of things, which made people really resent them. And not only that, there was something deeper happening with the disdain people had for tax collectors. See, tax collectors were a symbol, an ever-present symbol of Roman occupation. Whenever they looked up and saw a tax collector, they were reminded of their subjugation by the Roman Empire. They were reminded that they were not a free people. The tax collectors embodied everything that made them lose hope. So they weren't real popular guys. Jesus walks up to him, pushes aside the crowd after he's done preaching, spreading the good news like he does all the time. And our story picks up with Jesus walking up to Levi, son of Alphaeus, and he says, follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, I want to take a quick time out here because there's this huge crowd of people who have gathered just to hear the voice of Jesus. There are people that were, if not following Jesus, they were really big fans. They wanted to know what Jesus was going to say next. All of these people who are gathering themselves up, rallying around this, this kingdom of good news that Jesus was preaching, and yet out of all the crowd of believers, or at least we'll call them fans, right? Jesus makes his way to the tax collector. And he says to this tax collector, again, the symbol of everything the Jewish people resented Jesus says, you're in. Doesn't ask about his beliefs. Doesn't ask if he's pre-tribulationist or post-tribulationist, right? He doesn't ask about his preferences. Doesn't ask him anything, really. No prerequisites, no qualifiers, because if there were qualifiers, Levi probably wouldn't have met them. He just says, let's go. Now, Mark is a man of few words. So we don't know what else happens from there, but the thing we do know is that Levi got so excited to have a place at Jesus' side that he throws a party. Our story picks up in verse 15. It says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed them. So Levi throws this big feast for Jesus and his disciples and also his friends, by and large, who are sinners and tax collectors. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that tax collectors get their own, like, subcategory of sinners. It's like there are sinners who are pretty bad and tax collectors, right? Isn't that funny? I don't know. I think that's funny. Anyway, so bad dudes, right? And Jesus is hanging out with all these rastabouts and everything. In verse 16, it says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him being Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
The religious leaders are disturbed by this because up to this point, the way to belong was to first become, offer sacrifices, right? Get your life right, get circumcised as a symbol of the covenant. Up to this point, Jewish people by and large did not associate with outsiders. They couldn't even marry someone else who was not Jewish. So, so Jesus going and not only talking to them, but actually having a party with them made no sense to the religious leaders of the day. They're like, you're doing it wrong. And now here's this crazy homeless carpenter making wild claims about being God, and he's getting chummy with the enemy, people who don't even go here. That's another Mean Girls reference, by the way. Uh, if you've never seen the movie, don't even go here. Okay, all right, we'll move on. I digress. I wonder what was going through their heads here. Because see, Jesus threatened the religious leader's way of life. He threatened their power, their influence. So because of that, they were constantly looking for ways to kind of prove him wrong. And they thought this was one of those instances. They said, look, he can't be that holy. He can't be God because look who he's hanging out with. Look who he associates himself with. So they go back to his followers, his disciples, and they say, see, we told you, look at this guy. Look at this. He's, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Verse 17, Jesus hears this going on. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, now it's believed by a lot of scholars that them here is the disciples. So Jesus turns to his disciples and says to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this verse is one that a lot of people like to drop all the time because it was almost like a mic drop moment for Jesus, right? Like you could almost see his disciples in the back going, oh, shoot, got him. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Jesus, you got him this time and everything. But as is generally the case with Jesus, there's a lot more to this short verse than first glance offers. The answer Jesus gives in this case would be a callback to an old Jewish proverb that all of his disciples would have known about and grown up learning in a Jewish, ancient Jewish commentary written about Exodus chapter 15, 26, with 26, which God talks about how, you know, come to me and you will be made healthy because you are sick, but come to me and you will be made healthy. In a Jewish commentary written about that verse, it writes, if they are not sick, why do they need a physician? So Jesus is calling them back to their roots, to when the story began. And it also, Jesus in this verse points back to his own ministry when in Mark 2, the people come to him with a paralyzed man and Jesus heals him. But before he heals his physical body, he forgives him. He heals his spiritual body before his physical body. It is not the sick, that is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So in making this statement, by calling back to the Jewish people's roots, he's saying, yes, absolutely, Jesus is showing him that the church is for you. The church is for the saints, absolutely. And I think that same message holds true for us today too. The church is for you. The church is here for you to gather with, with friends and family, the communion of the saints, so we can support one another, we can worship together, we can hear biblical teaching together. The church is a place for Christ followers to come and worship. But it's also, it's for the saints, but it's also for you, the sinners. Those who are far from God are invited to come and see. 
Just like Jesus called an unrighteous man a sinner, all people, regardless of belief, sinfulness, even those tax collectors and sinners, they all have a place here. So for those of you even here in worship with us today who may be wondering if, if there's something that disqualifies you from gathering this morning, if there's some kind of shame or guilt you're struggling with, whether it's an addiction or something in your life that happened you're not particularly proud of, can I just tell you that you are in exactly the right place this morning. The church is for you. And to all of us, saints and sinners, I would say the church is for you, but it's not about you. Years ago, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church released a book called Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure many of you have heard of it if you haven't read it yourself. And, and I bet you remember that famous first line in that book. The very first opening line when you start reading is, it's not about you. And if you're like me, the first time you read that book, you probably opened and cracked it open, read that first line and went, mm, yeah, you know, you're like, that's good. It's not about you. And yet so often a lot of us find ourselves falling into traps of making church about us. I've heard more often than I'd care to admit people in church threatening to withhold their giving if something isn't done the way they want it done. Making tithing about influence rather than worship is making it about you. I was once when serving as a worship pastor in a former church threatened that a prominent church member who was actually an elder and he actually threatened me with this in a board meeting threatened not to attend our Christmas Eve services if we didn't do them the way he wanted us to do them. Making worship attendance about influence rather than worship is making it about you. We've heard stories like the one we heard in the video today. Stories of leaders in the church guilting people for not doing the things that we need them to do regardless of what's happening in their lives and guilting people into serving because we need them, church leaders, is making it about us. Church, can I suggest that we commit once again here and now to make our church all about Jesus and not about us? running everything we do and say, especially with our branch of the body of Christ, first and foremost about God's kingdom and not ours. The church Jesus came to redeem and restore thought that it was all about them, their bloodline, their heritage, their preferences, and Jesus came and showed them the new way of doing church. Making sure everyone knew they belonged before they became because of him, right? That's what Jesus' death and resurrection was all about, was making a place for all of us in the kingdom of God. And I think Jesus is calling the church in 2022 to seek out that same redemption and renewal, understanding that the church is for us, but it's not about us. 
I want to give us all some takeaways, some things to put into practice this week to do our part. Because again, we can't change the hearts or the actions of anybody else, but we can change our own hearts. And I think, church, if all of us here represented at Ward Church could get our hearts and minds focused on what Jesus wants to do in and through our church, we'll see revival come. We'll see the areas around us blessed. We'll see Ward Church become a beacon of hope and light, even more so than it already is in our community. So what I want to suggest to you or challenge you to do this week is to turn to God in prayer. Not only that, a specific prayer that I learned, man, when I was young in Bible school and everything, and you all probably learned this too. We've talked about it in church before, but I want to give you an outline for prayer this week and then ask if you'd be willing to pray like this at least for the next seven days. The first step in prayer, it follows uh, the word acts, that alliteration there for the word acts. And the first letter in the word acts, A, stands for adoration. I wonder if you would spend the first moment of your day, every day this week, just adoring God for who he was. Adoring Jesus for the way that he always put the needs of other people first. Who lives that way, right? Maybe we just need to take some time and reflect on that, reflect on stories about him healing the paralytic or being with the woman at the well or all the other instances where Jesus goes out of his way to elevate others' needs above his own. Maybe we just need to spend some time reflecting on that, remembering what he did and just praising him for it. And the second letter in the word Acts is that C, and that stands for confession. And what I want to encourage you to do this week because this is a good practice anyway for following Jesus, confessing the moments where we didn't live up to his calling on our life. But I wonder if your confession this week, you might spend time confessing times where you were tempted to make church all about you. I think we've all been there. Maybe it was a teaching in church or in class that you disagree with, but rather than going to the source of the teaching, you just talk to everybody else about your disdain for it. Maybe it was gossiping about someone else in the church rather than going to that person directly. Maybe it was being critical with no intention of being constructive, just aiming to be destructive. Maybe it was guilting someone for what they were going through without showing the compassion Jesus did when he partied with sinners and tax collectors. Confess those things. And then confession naturally leads us to thanksgiving, which is the third word in that Acts alliteration, thanksgiving. Spend time thanking God that he sent his son Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. You haven't forgotten that, have you? You haven't forgotten the fact, I hope not, that you were once sick and in need of a doctor. You were once sick and in need of that spiritual health. And thanks be to God that someone came along in your life and gave you a ride to the doctor. Maybe we need to spend some time remembering that so we can go and do likewise. And then the fourth word of this alliteration is supplication, which if if you're like me and you're kind of, you know, a simple man and you don't know what that means, I looked it up for us. It's the act of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. And I wonder if you would be willing this week to ask God to help us, the local church, to do better. Ask God to help us follow Jesus' example of being for saints and sinners. 
Now, if you are here for the first time this morning and you're like, man, I just came for the free cider and donuts and now he's talking about how horrible his church is. That's not my point. That's not, that's not the point of this message. The point of that, I believe God loves the church. I love the local church. We are very proud, my wife and I and our kids, to call Ward Church home. Ward is an incredibly loving community that embraces all people. We do our best to help come alongside people as they strive to live and love like Jesus. But I'm also not... Uh, not ignorant of the fact that we can always do better. You think about it with relation to your relationship with God, right? You can always be closer to Jesus Christ tomorrow than you are today. And I believe our local church can always be better at leading generations to live and love like Jesus than we were today. And I think it starts with sometimes taking a look in, seeing where we are, and seeing how we can do better. So we want to invite you to follow him. Because no matter where you are, or where you've come from, or what you've done, or where you've been, Jesus has the same call to you that he did to those tax collectors and sinners back then, that you belong. You have a place at the table. And when you surrender your life to him and allow his forgiveness and love to pour over you, you will be healed. And all it takes is praying something like we just did, adoring God for who he is, confessing your sins to him, thanking him for his love, and asking him to help you follow him. You already belong. Start becoming the person God created you to be. Now again, I don't say all of this because I think God is angry at the local church. I believe God loves the local church. I believe the local church is God's gift to us to have that community, to have a place to come and worship and grow and be healed and find renewal and healing. But because I believe God loves the local church and God loves sinners and saints, then we need to constantly be looking at how we can live and love like Jesus as a church better than we did the week before. So let's do this, church. Let's do this together. Let's become a place of refuge and refueling for the saints. Let's become a place of hope and joy for the sinners. Let's be the church God is calling us to be. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? God, we come to you this morning and we do, we adore you for who you are, for your great love for us, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die so that we could be made whole. God, we thank you that at some point in all of our lives, someone came to us and invited us, gave us a ride to the doctor so that we could be made new. And God, every time we're tempted to make church or worship all about us, I pray, God, that you would put a conviction in our hearts that we are not here on earth to make ourselves known or our preferences fulfilled. We are here on earth to bring your kingdom here. God, we thank you for the local church. We thank you for churches in this area, not just Ward Church, but all the local churches who are seeking to redeem and save the lost through your Holy Spirit. And today, God, we ask that the church would come back to you, that we would make it all about you because we know that, God, you are for us. You are in our corner. You want the best for us. But today we confess that it's not about us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you all please stand with me as we receive this morning's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.